listening to the White Oak Houston podcast, the official podcast of White Oak Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. White Oak exists to help people come alive to the wonder of the gospel and fully follow Jesus. For more information, please visit us online at whiteoakchurch.net. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation." This is God's word over us. You may be seated at this time. Well, I want to welcome you here to the White Oak Faith family. My name is James Yandel, and I'm one of the pastors here at this church. And, and like Pastor John said, if you're new or visiting with us this morning, I especially want to say that I am glad that you are here. Um, I believe that God has so much more for you than you could ever imagine. And probably my favorite part of my job is helping you discover what that is. And so I hope today goes a long way in helping you discover all that God has for your life. So it's Labor Day weekend, and it's the official end of the summer travel season. And we have a lot of people uh, who are out today because they're traveling and on vacation, trying to get that in before school uh, really gears up. And I want us to make a pact this morning, right as we start, let's make a pact not to be jealous of anyone who's on vacation today, all right? Especially when they post their pictures from Europe, you know, we're not going to be jealous. And in fact, can a couple of people post some pictures from today, I'm going to try to make this happen, and put hashtag... White Oak Staycation, all right? So I'm going to try to make that a thing, White Oak Staycation. But it is Labor Day, and I want to know, what is your dream vacation? If money was no object, what would your dream vacation be? I want you to lean over to your neighbor right now and share with them for a few seconds, what is your dream vacation? Go ahead and do that now. You are so well behaved, so quiet. Where would you go? So a recent survey polled 8,000 Americans, and they found the dream vacation of Americans, according to the survey. And I'd love to know if where you mentioned uh, matches this survey. So I'll just go down the list. The top five dream vacation destinations for Americans. Number one, a little surprising, Beijing, China was number one on the list. Number two was London, England. Number three, Niagara Falls. Number four was Paris, France. And number five was Mexico City. So I want to know, did anyone mention any of these cities on this list? Like two people in here. That just shows you cannot trust the polls. I can't trust every internet website. But this is the top five according to these Americans. Uh, but my favorite destination place was not on the list. Mine was number seven, and that was Japan. I would love to visit Japan. Did anyone mention Japan? One person in the back. Awesome. All right. So I love Japan. I don't know what it is. There's something about this futuristic urban architecture mixed in with like breathtaking, stunning views. You have Japanese culture and people and food and the bullet train. It's just an amazing place to go. If you're planning a trip to Japan, please invite your pastor along. I'd love to come to that. But one thing that people know about Japan, one thing that Japanese people have been struggling with for many years is their relationship to work. I think we all know that that in Japan they have a culture in which work is highly valued and almost too much so. 
Over the past few decades, they found that Japanese people are at higher risk to stress-related illnesses like heart attack and stroke and different things like that. In fact, it's gotten so bad that they have a term that they use, kadoshi, which means death by overworking. And so it's been a struggle in their culture for a long time. And in fact, it's gotten so bad that companies over there are trying to do things to curb the tide of work. And they've gone to some creative links to do this. So I want to share some of those today, some of the ways that companies have tried to stem this epidemic of overwork in Japan. The first I want to introduce you today is called the Embarrassment Cape. And we'll put it up on the screen. So this is the Embarrassment Cape. Um, and the way this, this is an IT company, came up with this idea. And they said, if anyone works overtime, if anyone works past the hours they're supposed to work, they've got to wear the embarrassment cape, right? So they wear this uh, if you work over hours and apparently you get uh, maybe humiliated by your coworkers or something like that. And I'm not sure if that would work in your office environment, if that would be enough to stem the tide of overworking in your office. But apparently it worked for this one. When they introduced the embarrassment cape, it cut overtime by half in the office. Nobody wanted to wear the cape. The CEO of the company said it turns out that using the cape to instill the value that working late at night is not cool was very effective. So they have the embarrassment cape. I'm going to share one more with you this morning. Some other companies have taken a different approach, and this is a true story. Some companies have got together, and they came up with this idea to have the office drone. And uh, what the drone would do is during the time where you're supposed to be leaving work, after hours, the drone would deploy into the office and basically tell everyone to go home. This is a true story. They're developing it. You can look it up on YouTube. And so their idea is when it's time to go home, the drone deploys and they blare closing time music to the people to try to get you to go home. And I didn't know this, but apparently the song they want to do is the classic New Year's Eve song, Old Lang Syne, because apparently in Japanese supermarkets, that's what they start playing when it's time to go home. So this is what they want to introduce into Japanese company culture to try to stem the tide of this work epidemic. I'm not sure if that would work in the White Oak office, but I'm going to try to convince John that we need that to tell us to go home. Uh, But this epidemic of overwork is not unique to Japan. But in fact, we Americans also have a problem with working too hard at times. I've been meeting with many of you over the past few months, and one common refrain that I hear is that you're busy, that you're stressed, that you're burnt out, and that you're overworked. It seems like pressure and stress are the default condition of modern American life. You've got pressure to pay bills and to make ends meet. We have employers trying to squeeze every last bit of productivity out of you. We feel pressure even from within as we try to seek goals in our life. And maybe for you that's starting a family or or, or buying a house or paying down debt or whatever it is. But you feel this pressure to constantly be working and you're not working hard enough if you're not making ends meet. Biblically speaking, work is good. We know that. The Bible talks a lot about work. But what happens when your drive and your dreams and your work takes you to a very unhealthy place. I've entitled my sermon this morning, Confessions of a Recovering Workaholic. And uh, this is just confession time for me as someone who is a recovering workaholic and who struggles with this. And I'm not sure if you would put yourself in that camp, but it's a deeply intimate sermon topic for me. 
I was reading an article and they found that a psychologist usually lists three common factors, three common symptoms of the workaholic. And I want to share them with you today and I wonder if these describe you. Number one, workaholics feel compelled to work because of internal pressures from which they never find relief. So this idea that the workaholic doesn't always get enjoyment out of his work, but instead he works or she works because they have fear of losing things or they have a desire for something that they don't have. And so they constantly work, but the harder they work, they don't find any relief in it. Number two, workaholics find it hard to stop thinking about work when they're not working. You know, this idea of like bringing the office home with you into your family and your wife is sharing about her day, but you're still thinking about that unfinished project that you have at work. You can't stop thinking about it. Number three, workaholics often work beyond what is reasonably expected despite the effect it has on their friends and loved ones. So they work hard and they feel this pressure to always be working hard and they don't realize how that work and that overtime is affecting the people that they love. I don't know about you, but this hit all three of my boxes. Uh, Confession time here this morning. I want to share my story very briefly. Um, I I think that I realized that I had a problem with work when I was in middle school. And in middle school, seventh grade, and I think it was math class, I think it was pre-algebra, I got my first B that I had ever made. And I probably shared this story before you before, but it was devastating in my life. Truly it was. For some of you, you get a B, you get a C, you're like, I passed, thank God I'm done with this class. But for me, it was earth shattering. Earth shattering that my perfect record of A's was broken by this class. And in fact, I can admit it now because I'm 31 years old and I'm married, but I cried that day. I cried because it, it, it was just devastating to me. And I think that's probably the moment at which I realized that I had an unhealthy uh, twisting and confusion of my worth with my work. I began to associate work with who I was as a person and with my worth as a person. After that, in high school and college, I continued on my, my trajectory of seeking perfection. And for me, if I wasn't getting an A on an assignment, if I wasn't getting an A on a test, if I wasn't being lauded by my professor for having the best assignment, then I was failing. I was failing and I was falling behind because I wasn't best. I wasn't first. Seaman continued on after college as I went into work. If I wasn't being praised by my boss, if I wasn't being lauded in front of others, then I was failing. I remember I developed an unhealthy habit when I was working down in the medical center of beginning to work weekends. And uh, my boss never asked me to do that. No one ever asked me to do that. I wasn't getting paid overtime, but I did it anyway because I constantly felt that I was falling behind. I also picked up the nasty habit of checking email after hours and after work. And I I prided myself in this ability to be able to respond immediately when people emailed me. I saw it as a sign and as a badge of honor and a pride that I was available to everyone at all times of the day. And lastly, I remember one time uh, during uh, the Christmas vacation break, everyone in the office wanted to take time off for Christmas week, right? They wanted to spend time with family, but you still needed someone in the office. So who volunteered to stay in the office alone? I did. I saw it as a badge of pride. See, this morning, what I want to do is I want to take us on a journey I want to take us on a journey and remind us that God's intention toward us has always been to give us rest. 
And God's often not the one pushing us, but it's ourselves. We're the one who push, pushes ourselves into these unhealthy places. It's good to think about work. It's good to strive for dreams. It's good to seek goals. But when they take you to an unhealthy place or to a place where we break the rhythm of work and rest that God gives us, it can lead us into spiritual and physical unhealth. So what I want to do today is I want to share three things, three pieces of hope for the workaholic. And so maybe that doesn't describe you, but maybe you fall into that tendency sometimes. Maybe you have someone in your life or in your family who struggles with this, and you can give them encouragement and advice from the Word this morning. But what I want to do is I want to share three things, three hopes for the workaholic, and then from there talk about how all of us can have a rhythm of rest in our life. So what I want us to do is go back to Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 31. I'll go ahead and read this passage one more time, and I want to take us on that journey of God's mission to give us rest. Let's read this one more time. It says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So who's saying it's good? God's saying it's good. He takes a step back, and he enjoys his work. It says, There was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed that day, and he made it holy, because on it he rested from the things that he had done in creation. So the first thing you need to take a heart this morning is that God gives you an example of rest at creation. God gives you an example of rest at creation. In resting on the seventh day, God has forever declared that work and rest are of equal value. That rest is just as important. Rest is just as godly. Rest is just as spiritual as work is. God declared this in creation. And so amidst all this pressure that I feel all the time as a workaholic, all this pressure to succeed, all this pressure to strive, all this pressure to, to, to accomplish all these things in my lifetime, in the midst of all this, I came to a shocking realization. God wasn't the one pushing me. I was the one pushing myself. It's always been me. And in fact, God's desire for me and for you is quite the opposite. God has always longed to give us rest. You know why? Because God has a father's heart. God has a father's heart toward us. And in all the history of the world, in every nation, in every season of life, God has never overworked a single person. Because God here in creation has given us an example that everyone has their limits, that we need rest in our life. You know why God rested on the seventh? Was he tired? Yes or no? No. God doesn't get tired. I believe that God rested on the seventh day because he knows that you and I often put ourselves in the place of God. And if God worked 24-7 and never stopped, then we would work 24-7 and we would never stop. And God doesn't want that for us. So God rested on the seventh day because he knows if we always worked and we never rested, we would kill ourselves in the process. That's what a workaholic does. And I speak as one who has experience. The workaholic mind makes itself into a martyr. See, workaholism is like any other sickness in that it disguises itself as something spiritual. If you think about any sin, 
Any addiction, any, uh, any problem, any sickness, what it does is it disguises itself as something good. It makes itself into the Savior. And everyone else can see that except the person who's engaged in it. You see, when I never took vacations, I thought that I was serving God. When I was available to everyone at all times and never put limits on the amount of work that I did, I thought that I was being spiritual. When I worked nights and weekends, I thought that I was being spiritual. When I elevated work above rest, I thought that I was being godly. But in this passage, I find that my perpetual grind is not spiritual. It's a symptom of my broken condition. Any sin, any addiction makes itself look like the Savior. So whether you're a mom who's trying to put your kids in a hundred programs just so that you can give your best to them, or whether you're a father and a husband who works 80 hours a week just to provide for your family, or whether you're an entrepreneur who works seven days a week grinding on Sundays just as a temporary sacrifice until you get this thing off the ground, as a workaholic, those are red flags to me. Why? Because workaholism disguises itself as something good and spiritual. Are we more godly than God? Yes or no? Guess what? God rested. God gave us rest. And in creation, God made sure to always put work and rest on equal footing. And there are some of us in this room who take work, and we like to take it, and we like to put work up here and rest down here. And then there are other people, which is a different sermon altogether, who like to put rest up here and work down here, right? And that's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about these people mainly this morning. I'll put myself in there. But God, in creation, always put work and rest on equal footing. They're both godly, they're both spiritual, and they both need to be rhythms in our life. I want you to raise your right hand with me. Raise your right hand. I want you to repeat after me. I have God's example of rest. Now let's say it a little bit more emphatically. You know, sometimes I make you too. I got God's example to rest. I got God's example to rest. Awesome. I love you guys. All right, so flip over to Exodus chapter 20, verse 8 through 11. We're going to go into the second one here this morning. Exodus chapter 20, uh, starting in verse 8. I won't have this on the screen, so I do encourage you to, to flip open your Bible, make a note if you want to go there. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and read it for us. You'll be very familiar with this passage. This is the middle um, of the Ten Commandments, and so you may have heard this before. And I want to dive into it and try to provide a new perspective on this for you this morning. So Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner, which means foreigner who is within your gates. For in six days God made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and he made it holy. So not only do we have God's example of rest at creation, we have God's permission to rest at Mount Sinai. Let me give you a little context for this passage. So the Israelites were just rescued by God out of Egypt. You know, Moses, uh, the plagues, all these different things happening. God rescues them out of slavery in Egypt. And so essentially what God is saying here in this passage is he's saying for 400 years while you were slaves, you had no rest. 
You don't get to rest when you're a slave. That's not how it works. But he says, under my rule and under my reign, when I'm the king, when I'm the Lord over your life, you will have rest. This may be one of the Ten Commandments that Israel had to obey, but I don't see it that way. I see this this concept of a weekly Sabbath as God's permission for us to have guilt-free rest. This is God's permission in our life to rest. And that's the problem with the workaholic, isn't it? We feel guilty even when we're not working. Our mind is working even when we're not in the office. Workaholism is slavery of the mind. Listen to what Timothy Keller, who's a pastor and writer, he says this, Anyone who cannot rest from work is a slave to a need for success, to a materialistic culture, to exploitative employers, to parental expectations, or to all the above. These slave masters will abuse you if you are not disciplined in the practice of Sabbath rest. Sabbath is a declaration of freedom over your life. To my workaholic brother and sister, if God gives you permission to rest, who are you to not give yourself permission to rest? And this hit me like a ton of bricks when I read this and when I reflected on what God has for me in rest. But you know why that's hard for us? That's hard for anyone and especially hard for workaholics because it forces us to trust God, not the extra hours we put in. Share a quick story from the Old Testament. So you know that the Israelites were uh, in the wilderness for 40 years. God rescues them out of Egypt. He rescues them out of the hands of the Egyptians. And they wander in the wilderness for 40 years for, for different reasons we won't get into. But while they were in the wilderness, God provided food for them in the wilderness. And he called it manna. This idea that God would rain down bread, literally would rain down bread from heaven for the people of God to eat because they were in a sparse environment. They didn't have much food. There wasn't much to eat there. And so God provided for them during their journey through this wilderness. But God had very specific instructions on how they were to eat the manna. He said six days a week or five days a week, you're going to collect only a day's worth of manna. Don't collect two days worth of manna. Don't collect three days worth of manna. Don't collect four days worth of manna. Collect one day worth of manna and then go from there. Each day I will provide. Guess what the Israelites did? (laughs) They tried to collect two days worth of manna. And you know what happened when they did that? It went bad. The extra manna they collected, it went bad. It got worms and all this nasty stuff happened to it. And we look at that and we think, stupid Israelites, they never get it right, right? But in our own life, I wonder... Do we trust God with the day's work and can we leave it at the office? See, God is calling us to trust him that he ultimately is provider. And if Israel struggled with this concept of only collecting enough and then trusting God with the rest, do we trust him in that as well? Psalm 127 verse 6 says this, Workaholic, doesn't add that, but I'm going to add that. Workaholic. It is in vain for you to rise up early, to retire late, to eat the bread of painful labor. For God gives to his beloved even in their sleep. The workaholic needs to recognize that your body works better after a full night's sleep. And the workaholic needs to recognize that your mind is designed to operate better under frequent breaks and rest and rhythms of vacation in your life. 
And the workaholic needs to recognize that God can do more with your rest than you can do with your work. God can do more with your rest than you can do with your work. That's the narrative of the Bible and of the cross, that God can do so much more than what we can do in our life. In his gift of the Sabbath, God gives you permission to rest. For one day, every week, you don't have to strive. You don't have to perform. You don't have to do. You can just be and receive what God has for you. I want you to turn to your neighbor and I want you to tell him, I've got God's permission to rest. If you had said that more emphatically, I wouldn't make you do it again. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I got God's permission to rest. (laughs) Get a little angry with it. I got permission to do that. (laughs) God gives us permission to rest. Permission granted. Turn to John chapter 19, verse 28. We'll do our last uh, truth I want to give you this morning. John chapter 19, verse 28. It says this. I don't have it on the words on the screen, but just close your eyes and just receive it this morning if you have to. Jesus is on the cross, and it says this. After this, Jesus, knowing, all that, he was, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the favorite hammer blow of mine for the workaholic and for my own workaholic mind. Because not only does God give us his example, not only does he give us his permission, but God gives us his invitation to rest on the cross. On the cross, we have God's invitation to rest. In declaring, that Je- in declaring that it is finished, Jesus has completed the most important work that any of us could ever want, freeing us from sin and death and anxiety. I hope that you see the cross as an open invitation of God to rest in your life. You see, the cross reminds me that we don't just need periodic days of physical rest. That's not enough. The cross reminds me that we need someone to get us off the inner hamster wheel of anxiety and fear and work and all these different things. We need someone to liberate us from those, and Jesus does that on the cross. You see, Jesus talks about more about who I am and who you are than what we do, and that's liberating for a workaholic. You see, on the cross, Jesus says you are already forgiven. On the cross, Jesus says you are already saved. On the cross, Jesus says you are already taken care of. On the cross, Jesus says you are already perfect. You are already pleasing to God. And the problem with the workaholic is they have a savior complex. And the workaholic needs to be reminded that we already have a savior in Jesus. Jesus is our savior and Jesus is the one who ultimately saves us. And the workaholic needs to take the gospel and to wrap that into his mind and recognize that I am not savior over my life. I am not my wife's savior. I am not my church's savior. I'm not my employer's savior. I am a student and a a follower of the true savior, which is Jesus Christ. You have all these things, not because you put in extra hours, not because you're the perfect parent, not because you're out there hustling and grinding 24-7, but because Jesus stretched out his arms and finished the job that you couldn't do. 
Raise up your right hand and repeat after me. I have God's invitation to rest. I like that. That was good. But how do you do that? Very quickly here, um, I want to go over some practical ways that we can have rhythms of rest in our life. And I tried to be very succinct with this, and I'll encourage you to do two things. Take a Sabbath rest and nurture a Sabbath heart. What do I mean? First, take a Sabbath rest. When you hear the word Sabbath in Christian circles, a lot of times it comes up in the context of a debate. You've got Christians who will debate Uh, First, should Christians take the Sabbath? Because this is kind of an Old Testament thing. And, you know, sometimes we're like, well, we don't have to do Old Testament things. So you'll find them debating about whether or not we should take Sabbath. Or you'll find Christians debating which day should we take Sabbath? Should it be Friday? Should it be Saturday? Should it be Sunday? And if you ever happen upon a conversation in which that's happening, I want you to get really still. I want you to back away slowly. And I want you to get out of there really quickly. Because you don't got time for that. You got to rest. I believe that God has given us this idea of Sabbath, and that's a good idea, and that God wants us to have rhythms of rest in our life. I believe that you need a day every week in which you have a change of pace. You need a day every week that you're not focused on the grind. But here's the problem. This is where people get confused. God says you should work six days and then rest on the Sabbath, or on the seventh. The question is, in the American context, we typically have what? Two days off, right? We got Saturday and we got Sunday. So how does that work into this idea of Sabbath? And I think it's very simple, very easy. Uh, I want you to answer the question, is there a difference between a day off and a Sabbath? There is. And let me tell you the difference. What do you do on a day off? Before I put these on the screen, you don't have to put them on the screen yet. Before I do, I just want you to shout some things off. What do you do on your day off? Okay, errands, chores, what else? Yard work, what else? Some people do some sleep, all right. I don't get too much sleep on, on Saturdays. Anyone else, what do you do on, sa- what do you do on Saturdays? Laundry, stuff like that. All right, let's put this on the, sh- on the screen. Days off are for chores, are for errands, are for softball practice, are for baby showers, are for every wedding from now to the year 2020. you got a wedding. you got something you got to go to on Saturday. You've got all these last-minute things that you have to do. That's a day off. Everyone takes a day off, whether you're a Christian or not. But God calls us, I believe, to Sabbath. Sabbath is different. On a Sabbath, what do you do? You worship. You rest. You have renewal in your life. You have community. You've got fun, enjoyment, relaxation. This is a Sabbath, biblically, where we gather with the church, where we sing songs, where we're edified, and then we go home and enjoy our family, be with our kids, have a meal together. Problem is, I think a lot of us don't Sabbath well because we don't really prepare for it. Right? We don't really prepare for our Sabbath. And so a lot of work that we should have done over the week kind of spills over into the weekend and the things that we were supposed to do on Saturday, like laundry, spills over into Sunday. And so Sunday starts looking a lot like Saturday, and we didn't prepare very well for the Sabbath. And I think this is a healthy rhythm in your life is to use your week and perhaps use your Saturdays to wrap up any loose ends that you have so that you can enjoy Sunday. 
So if that means doing laundry on Saturday, if that means scheduling everything on Saturday, if that means whatever it takes to do these things on Saturday so that Sunday truly becomes a day of rest for you. Sarah and I will often take our um, Sabbath on Fridays because sometimes Sundays for a pastor is almost like a work day sometimes. And so this is partially my Sabbath, but we take it on Fridays. And what I've started doing was I started giving Sarah uh, my phone which was really hard at first to not have my phone on me. And it was really hard for the first few hours that I did that. But guess what happened at the end of the day? I found that I truly had taken my mind off work. And when I got back on my phone at the end of the day, right before the evening or on the next day, guess what? The world didn't end. I was able to take a day off, a true Sabbath, and the world didn't end. And that's hard for workaholics to do. But I believe that God lovingly calls you into one day each week where you produce nothing. Where you achieve nothing. Where you accomplish absolutely nothing and simply let God be enough for you. So whatever it takes for you to mix up your Sabbath routine from your day off, even if that's putting your phone aside on the dresser, even if that's watching a little bit less TV so you can spend some time in the Word or at the park with your family, whatever it looks like to make Sabbath look different than your day off, I believe that God is calling us to do that. And certainly there are seasons of life when you've got uh, newborn kids or young kids and it's hard to find that rest and, and just know that there's hope at the end of the tunnel that won't be forever. But you've got to get creative with the ways that you rest and that you relax. And there's a lot of parents in here who have figured out how to do that. And if you ever want to ask one of them, I'm sure they'd be happy to share some of their secrets in making that happen. But I believe that God is calling us to a day of rest regularly in our life. So as we draw to a close this morning, I want to share just a quick story. And, uh, you know, sometimes when pastors share sermon illustrations, it's kind of a reach. And you're like, you know, I, I don't know. I could kind of see how you got there. But this is like one that just fell in my lap. And I feel like you have to share ones that fall in your lap. And so a few weeks ago, uh, when Sarah and I were actually taking our Sabbath, it was on a Friday. And we got up in the morning and Sarah got into uh, her car and the, the, the light came on. I don't know. One of the lights, it's a, it's a Subaru hybrid car. And so uh, one of the things was like flashing. It looked really bad. So we're like, you know what, we should probably take this in. And so we end up taking it into the dealership, and uh, we leave it for a while, and we go go back home, hang out for a while, and we get a call from the dealership. And they say, well, Mrs. Yandel, uh, sorry to let you know, but the hybrid battery in your car basically, I don't know, they didn't use the term exploded. That's what I visualized in my mind. Uh, But but basically, the, the acid came out of the battery, and it got all over the car. And they said, you know, we're going to have to order the part. We're going to do a lot of work on this. Um, it's going to be about $1,500. <laughs> and to a workaholic, anxious person like myself, that was a, a, a fatal blow to my Sabbath. Um, but we prayed about it. You know, we were like, give us some time. We need to think about what we need to do. So Sarah uh, makes a call to the Subaru um, corporate office and says, you know what? Uh, you know, is there anything you can do? Is my battery under warranty? Anything like that? And they said, we don't, we're not sure. We'll get back to you. But they gave us a loaner car in the meantime. And uh, I, I drive a 2011 Honda Civic. And uh, it's kind of an old car. But they gave us a 2018 Subaru Outback. And uh, I never get to drive nice cars at all. But when I was driving that car, it has the most amazing features. And I want to share one with you today. One of the features is you can set it so that 
When you go out of a lane, the car literally steers you back into the lane, which I think is amazing. It like literally steers you back. And you don't realize how bad of a driver you are until your car literally fights back when you're veering out of the, the lanes. And, and Sarah, I guess, has been nice to me. She hasn't been sharing this with me, but I, I apparently veer all over the place. And the car would literally force me back into the lane. And I learned two valuable lessons that day. One is that sometimes God has to nudge us back into the lane. Sometimes God has to remind us, whether it's through sickness in our life or whether it's just through exhaustion or whether it's through a sermon on workaholism, God has to nudge us back in the right direction of work and rest. And number two, I learned that God truly does take care of us. Subaru corporate office called a little bit in the afternoon and they said, you know what, it's not, the battery's not covered under warranty, but we just want uh, to show some good faith and some goodwill and we're going to cover it completely for you guys. And this came two days after I told Sarah, you know, nothing supernatural ever happens. You know, we never get anything like supernatural check, anything like that. And then boom, this happens. And it reminded me that God truly does take care of us. And that's the whole point of having a Sabbath heart is recognizing that, yeah, we can work and we can do things and we can strive. But part of Sabbath is recognizing not what we've done for ourselves, but what God has done for us. That's the beginning of the gospel. The gospel begins when you and I finally stop. And I'll end sort of with this. One of the things that Sarah has taken to say to me over the past few months, and I love how she says this, and I think it's what God says to us. She says, I love you for who you are, not for who you could be. That's exactly what God says to us. Sure, he's shaping us and he's making us into someone new. But God loves us exactly as we are and he'll take care of us. So I hope that you will trust him in that. And I hope that you'll begin to build rhythms of work and rest in your life. Because God takes care of us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. And I thank you for your example. I thank you for um, your permission. And I thank you for your invitation to rest. And we receive that now, Lord. We, We just have open hands and we receive your rest. You're always holding it out in front of us, always beckoning us into rest. And there are things that you know that we need in life, but Jesus emphatically has told us, It's okay. I got you. So Father, be with us. Give us more faith. Give us more rest, especially for my workaholic brothers and sisters and for myself. Remind us that you are enough and that we can rest with a guilt-free heart and conscience. We love you, and it's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen.